Thanks, Matt. Uh, I remember a friend of mine once said, uh, you can't compete with kids and puppies. So, uh, you know, there's just no topping the cuteness of kids and puppies, and so I won't even try. Yeah, that was great. That was great. Um, it's good to be with you all this morning. appreciate the opportunity to share. Um, I was thinking about it as I was getting ready for today. Um, I was thinking about a, a, a trip my wife, well, not a trip so much, but a, a visit my wife and I made with a friend uh, this week. Uh, he, he serves a, a pretty good-sized church in central Kentucky, and we went to see him. And uh, we, were, we were talking, and at one point, uh, my wife was talking to him, and I just kind of wandered off a little bit, did my own thing for a few minutes. And I, and I looked around the, the, the sanctuary space, the worship space that, that, that his church has, and I noticed there were a bunch of TV monitors, kind of like we have in the back here, and there were several of them around the area by the sanctuary, and they basically said something like this. They said, your entry into the space is your consent to be photographed or videotaped for the church's use. And I, I thought that sounded a little bit ominous, you know, like, you know, when you're coming in, just get ready. We're going to photograph or videotape you. But I, but I understand what they were saying. They were saying, in essence, this. I consent to having my image used in church pictures and videos. And so it was a way for them to kind of make sure that if you were coming into their space that you knew that might happen. And then it got me thinking, I wonder if they were onto something in a way that they didn't intend. I wonder if that's a glimpse as to what happens when we gather as the people of God. Now, I'm going to assume that, and you probably really shouldn't assume, but I'm going, to, I'm going to go ahead with the assumption that most of you would call Northside Christian your family, your church home. If not, if you're a guest or visitor, we're so glad to have you on behalf of the church, even though I'm the guest myself. Let me just say welcome to you. Um, but, but, but since most of you would call this your church home, I want, to, I want to tell you what I think you're doing when you come into this space. By being here, you're recognizing that you're a part of something bigger. By gathering here each Sunday, you're saying something like what my friend's monitors at his church said, but I would change it to say this, that when you gather here this morning and every Sunday, you're saying, I consent to having my life used by the church and in the world. I consent to having my life used in the church and in the world. Even though no one asked you to sign a form, when you committed to be a part of the Northside Christian Church, when you said, I want to follow Jesus with you all, you were saying that I'm going to let my life be used with you together as family, where God's going to bring us together and do amazing things. Now, will there be struggles and challenges? Of course. I don't need to tell you that. You know that. Will life have bumps and bruises? Will church have bumps and bruises? Yeah, you bet it will, because that's life, right? Things don't always go the way we want them to go. But when you say yes to the family of God, you're saying, I consent to let God use my life with you all. Now, to that end, I have a confession to make. I was here last week. And if you were here last week, you, you may remember I was sitting right over here, just kind of behind some folks over here, about fourth or fifth row back. And I, I got to tell you that um, I wasn't just here as a visitor, but I was here to get a sense of who you are as a church, to see how I might encourage you to keep going and growing toward being the people God wants you to be. And so I came not just to worship with you, although I did that, but I came to kind of just Share with your leadership um, my encouragement and to, and to say, here are the, the, the strengths I see, here are the opportunities I notice, and just to kind of encourage you guys to keep pressing on toward the purposes that God has for you. Now, let's be clear. As an outsider, there is so much I don't know about you all. There's no way anybody could come in in a Sunday or two, kind of, kind of learn everything about you that you, you've shared over the years or over the decades even. 
So please don't hear me coming with some sort of magical advice or some wand to wave over you and say, okay, this is exactly what you need to do. Now go and do it. I don't come to kind of say, okay, here's all your good stuff. Here's three quick steps to make it better. Here's your bad stuff. Here are three quick steps to make them go away. Okay. I can't do that. No one can. And so I don't have any presumption, but I just wanted you to know, I kind of made the pitch to Matt Miller when he and I talked on the phone that, that what if I came in and just kind of visited with you last week and then just kind of shared with the leadership what I experienced and kind of what you guys might think about as you take your next steps of faith as a church. So here's what I want to do in the time we have together. I just want to share my encouragements to you, the things that I experienced, but, but bigger than that, just kind of the, the reminders that you would need to, to remember that all of us need to remember about what it means to follow Jesus as family. And to do that, I want us to look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 10 through 17. 1 Peter 2, 10 through 17. Um, and so if you have your Bible, I encourage you to, to open it, or if you use it on your phone, however you do that, or if you need to grab one in the pew. Um, we don't have it on the screen. Um, would love for you to kind of read along with me, or even if you just like to listen to Scripture, because as you probably know, the early church, that's how they experienced Scripture. Most of their, their folks didn't read, and so they would hear the Word spoken to them. And so let's just let God's Word wash over us this morning. As we look at 1 Peter 2, 10 through 17. First Peter 2, starting in verse 10. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires, which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but don't use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Everything that we have and are, Peter would say, starts with the fact that we are God's people. But also with a reminder that we haven't always been God's people. Peter would say to us, it's the work of God through Jesus Christ that's, that brings us from being no people, not a people, to being the people of God. And so the foundation for you all to remember and to, to, to open yourself to what God has in store for you is to remember what you were before you were church. Remember what you were before you were a church family. Remember what life was like when you didn't have Christ. When his love hadn't changed you, because that was when you did life on your own terms, you walked in your own ways. But when you experience the merciful grace of God, when his love just overwhelms you, when you really experience that, it changes your life. It changes how you see yourself. It changes your past. It changes your present and it gives you a new future. When he invites you into his family, everything changes. About three years ago, our family got word of a distant cousin of my wife's that needed a home, needed a family. 
We had never met this cousin, but he was like, I think he's my wife's second cousin's son, and she was having some issues, and so she couldn't raise him at the time. And uh, because we live in Kentucky, and he lived in Kentucky as we were family, though barely, we were able to, to get him in the system to our family pretty quickly. And so about three years ago, uh, my wife and I and our teenage kids all decided that, that we agreed we would take Isaiah into our home for however long we needed to. And so we did. And so for about six months, he became a part of us. There's a picture of him. I know it's not the greatest picture, but, but a little bit dark. It's at a, a football game. Um, that's my teenage son um, on, 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 the, on the ground, and that's Isaiah on his shoulders. So for about six months, Isaiah was a part of our family. And then he transitioned to my wife's sister and her husband, Uh, They live in Virginia. They've never been able to have children. And so they opened their home to Isaiah and Isaiah became their child. Now, I tell you this because even though Isaiah doesn't live in our home, even though he was only for six months kind of our our, a part of our family, he's now still our, our, our nephew because he's he's my, you know, my wife's sister's kid now. And so he's a part of us. He will always be a part of us. We will always have a special place. I will always have a special place in my heart for Isaiah because he's now a part of our extended family. I wonder if that's not even just a glimpse of what God thinks of when he sees you and me. Before Christ, when we're not a part of his family, when we're kind of just walking around doing our own thing, and for some of us, if we remember that, I know many of us maybe grew up as good church folk, but those of us who maybe didn't, when we lived life, boy, we thought we had a good, didn't we? We thought we were living life on our terms. We were doing what we wanted to do, and the world said, go, and we're like, yeah, this is great. And we grabbed life with everything we could, until we realized everything we held in our arms was nothing. And we look around and we're like, is this really all life is? Just grabbing whatever you can get your hands on? And that's when our hands are, are more open to God. And when God brings us in, we become a part of his family. And then we find life as it's meant to be. And we become a part of his forever family. That's what God longs for all people to have. So let me just remind you of how it works. God sees us. He sees us through his son, Jesus, and through the work of Jesus, he makes us his family. And what we then learn to do is the first place we learn how to share that love of Jesus is with each other as family. And so last Sunday when I was here visiting with you, I enjoyed, even today, just enjoyed watching and listening to how much you guys love each other, how how you kind of laugh together, how you you know, just kind of continue to visit during the music because you can just tell you guys like being together. You enjoy each other and that's a gift. If you were here last Sunday, um, you'll remember, is his name Justin? Is that the one who came down front? Justin and his wife came down and Justin invited you all to come up for prayer. And, um, you you know, I I don't know, for some of you, maybe it was awkward. I know as a first time visitor, I was kind of not really sure what I should do. But all that was kind of secondary to the power of that moment when it was like, this is a picture of the church. You know, where we gather together and everyone's on the same team. Everyone's on the same page saying, yes, we're with you guys. We support you. We love you. We pray for you. We're here for you. We're going to walk with you through this journey as you guys clearly have done for that family. That's what the church is about. Even kind of watching the kids up here and just knowing even if whether one of these was your kid or your grandkid or even if they weren't, these are your kids, right? You love these kids. They're yours and you celebrate with them. You smile at them when they sing too loud or don't sing at all or make a frowny face or, you know, whatever they do because they're kids. But you love them because they're yours. I would just remind you that you guys are family. Hold on to each other. And don't forget that what you have in Christ is way more important than what might divide you. 
What the Spirit of God is doing to bring you together around the power and the work of Christ is way more important than the stuff you might disagree about or might kind of wonder about. You are one in Christ. But it doesn't stop there. Because our love in Christ is not bound by the boundaries of buildings. You know this. Your faith is not contained in a church. We are called to share Jesus with the world. To do that, in 1 Peter 2, Peter reminds us that we aren't at home here. He literally uses words that remind his readers to say, you aren't from around here. Now, I'm curious by a show of hands. I'll be just curious. It helps me get to know you all a little better. How many of you grew up in Bloomington or Monroe County? Okay, good number. How many of you did not grow up around here? Okay, so maybe half, maybe 60, 40, something like that. And so, you know, the cool thing is, when Peter writes these words, it, it, it doesn't really matter where ultimately we come from. It matters that we belong to him. A few weeks ago, I had this really cool privilege to speak at a Chinese church in Louisville. Now, I don't know Chinese, so it made a little bit of a challenge, but they had a translator. She did a great job. So I spoke, she spoke, I spoke, she spoke. And I assume she spoke my words like I said them, but I didn't know because it was Mandarin. I have no idea. I had no clue. Although I will tell you, there was a time we were singing a song, and it was really cool. We were singing in English and Chinese, and it was funny how none of the words matched up until we got to the word like Jesus and Alleluia. And you're like, I recognize. So even Jesus in Chinese was a word I could recognize, which I think is a, a powerful message in and of itself. But the idea that those folks, they're not from around here, literally, whether it's Bloomington or Louisville where I live, they, they, they had come from many different places. But I think Peter would remind us, none of us are from around here. Wherever we grew up, wherever we live, we have a different home. In fact, if you're still in First Peter, in fact, I hope you are because we're going to read several more verses, but listen to how he starts the book, starts this letter. First Peter, chapter 1, right out of the gate, he writes... Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with His blood. Do you see what he's saying there? He's saying, you guys aren't from around here. You guys don't belong. You live in all kinds of different places. You're scattered. You're not necessarily where you, where you grew up. It's not now where you live. But that doesn't matter because you have been chosen by God. You have been selected by Him. You have been made new into His family. And so because of that, Peter says, people are going to look at you and they're going to say, you're different. There's something different about you. In fact, he goes on to write in 1 Peter 2, they might even say something like, you know... Um, they might even accuse you of doing evil. They might even say that what you're doing is wrong. But Peter reminds us that our response is to live in such a way that people can't help but see Jesus, even if they don't want to. Even if they're hoping to find something to, to kind of you know, mess, mess with our reputation. Peter says, you live such a good life that they can't help but see Jesus. In fact, he uses a phrase there. He, he, he encourages us to live our way of life way of life in such a way that people see Jesus. He uses this phrase, way of life, six times in 1 Peter. That's about as many times as it appears in the whole rest of the Bible. This way of life is a focus for Peter. Let me just illustrate that by just showing you some other places. In 1 Peter 1.15, Peter writes, 1 Peter 1.15, he says, But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. Or literally, be holy in your way of life. And then he compares that 
to verse 18, where he says, You know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. So Peter reminds us, we used to have an empty way of life, but now through Christ we have a new way of life. And then look what he says in chapter 3, verse 16. Keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ, that is your way of life in Christ, may be ashamed of their slander. Repeatedly, Peter reminds us that we are called to a certain way of life, to be set apart, to be godly, to show the world that Jesus has come the first time and that he's coming again a second time. Because you see, faith isn't simply something we believe. For faith to be real, it's got to be lived. One of my favorite writers is a guy named Daniel Taylor, and he tells of a time that he, had to li- he learned to live this out. Daniel befriended a man named John, and Daniel writes about that. He says, We seem to have about as much in common as fire and water. He says, I was white, John was black. I was a professor, he was a thief. I was free, he was in prison. I had a future, he had a past. Even so, Daniel continued this relationship with this guy, John, who was behind bars, and he formed this relationship with him, but he never was really sure if he made a difference. In fact, when John got out of prison, he didn't stay in touch with Daniel. It wasn't until 20 years later, Daniel's phone rang, and it was John. He told him he had gone back to prison, but this time he had found Jesus And his life had changed. And if it weren't for that phone call, Daniel may have never known the difference he had made for John. The seed that he had planted that God had used to change John's life. But because Daniel chose a way of life that showed Jesus to somebody who was different from him. To where Daniel would have said, you know what? I don't feel adequate. I'm not really up to this. I don't really know how this white middle-aged professor can go work with this black man who's behind bars. But he did it anyway. And God used him because his way of life was one of trust in God. And he chose to do that faithfully and regularly. So let me ask you a question. What's your way of life? What way of life are you living literally every day? When you get up tomorrow to go to work or school or in your neighborhood or to the grocery store or wherever you go on your Monday morning, are people going to see in your way of life that your life has been changed by Jesus? Is what you do here this morning, is what you sing this morning, and what you pray this morning, what you hear this morning, is it going to be a part of your way of life on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and the rest of the week? You know, I love, again, just in the glimpse I've had of your church life, seeing ways that you guys take this seriously as you seek to live out a way of life that shows the community of Bloomington and Monroe County the love of Jesus. As I heard some of the leadership talk last week about ways that you do that, Let me just add my words of encouragement. Remember that you don't just come to be the church. You go and be the church every day. And so even to hear some of the conversations about the the outreach you guys have at the Wheeler Mission at Camp Hunt. What a cool thing that is. What a way to bless other people who may never come in in, in this building or at least wouldn't come initially. They would need a lot of encouragement to do that. Or how about the Crestmont community where folks are fed Uh, every week by folks in your church, and it sounds like there's ways to get involved with that. Those are two really specific ways where you guys are a blessing to Bloomington and Monroe County. Let me encourage you to keep that up. Let me encourage you to to ask God how he might use you 
in those ways or other ways, to be a blessing and to take God's love outside of this building. I want to say something that's going to sound a little bit odd coming from a person like me. I've been in ministry for 20 plus years um, in Kentucky. I was in Tennessee for a while, did different kinds of ministry. Um, and now my ministry is more kind of doing less, kind of, kind of sharing with churches kind of on a freelance basis. But, um, so this may sound a little bit odd, but, but I think one of the benefits of not having a, a paid person up here every week, the guy that, like, you know, you could say, this is my preacher, this is my minister. Not having that, although it certainly has, I'm sure, caused, you know, some challenges that you guys have had to navigate. The good side of that, from my perspective, is it's a reminder to you that, that church isn't the guy who stands up front. The guy who gets paid to stand up here, you know, as I understand, it's, it's not hard to find people to do that because there are plenty of good guys who will do that and who will share with you God's truth. But because you don't have somebody you can say, well, our church is led by that one guy and he, we pay him to lead our church, that gives you an opportunity to remember a really vital truth that the church is all of you. It's not the guy you pay to, to speak pious platitudes every Sunday from a platform or a pulpit. As important as that is, I'm not diminishing that. I'm just reminding you that 30 minutes a week of somebody talking to you does not make the church. It's important. It's vital. I'm not diminishing it at all. It's in the preaching of the word that God changes lives. But then it's you guys who go live it. You guys who take the truth that you share with each other as you open the Bible, as you study, as you hear it, as you remember what you're called to be as a family of God. And so you have a unique opportunity remember that it's not one person who exemplifies the church. It's when all of you come together. So let me encourage you. Let me encourage you to make sure as a church you use this season you're in to find a way for everybody to serve. Make sure there's a place at Northside for everybody to be a part of God's work here. Men and women, young and old. That's one of the things I love about having the kids in here. Sure, it gets a little noisy sometimes. It gets a little bit crazy. But you know what? The church... Is everybody, isn't it? It's a two-year-old and it's a hundred two-year-olds. And when we find a way for everybody to find their place, I think God smiles. And I think that's how he uses his people. In 1 Peter 2.16, we're reminded that we're free. That in Christ we're free. And so we're free to serve. We're free to do that. But I'm so fascinated that as soon as Peter talks about our freedom, he says it's because we're slaves of God. It seems so contradictory. How can Christ set us free to become slaves? It's a reminder to us that I am most free, not when I do what I want, but when I submit to doing what God wants to do in my life. Again, in a way the world doesn't understand, my freedom isn't so much where I get to do whatever Jeff wants to do. When I'm truly free, when my life is set free, it's when he guides me and I let him lead me and I do what he calls me to do. That's true freedom. I think we see this in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. This will be a familiar passage, I'm sure, to most of you because it is absolutely a fundamental passage to describe what we are in Christ. So in Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 8, we read these words. Ephesians 2, verse 8, For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves, it's a gift from God, not by works so that no one can boast. Those are, are, are some of the most foundational words in, in, in what we believe, in, in the whole Bible. It is by grace you've been saved. None of us have earned it. None of us can do enough to get there. None of us have done so much that we can't receive grace. It is about grace that comes and changes our lives. But don't miss verse 10 because it is vital. And, and you get this in the right order, and it's a perfect description of what the faith 
is all about. Verse 10 of Ephesians 2, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So Jesus makes us new for the purpose of good works, which he created us to do. Or literally, Paul says, the good works that that Jesus created us to walk in, that we literally take steps of faith every day as we walk, we walk in Christ and we trust him with our lives. Again, I think Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 is a great summary of faith. And and if if you're not a Bible memorizer, that's okay. But man, this isn't a hard one to memorize because this is a great thing to remember. We are saved by grace through the work of Jesus. And because of the work of Jesus, we don't have to work to earn the grace of God. But because of the work of Jesus, we then are given work to do. Because we are his handiwork. We are his amazing creation. And so we learn to walk in his ways. In other words, grace is a gift. Grace is all gift. And when grace becomes the foundation of our lives, we find our place and we learn to walk as people of grace. And serving isn't a duty. It's not a requirement. It's not something that we grudgingly do. Instead, it is simply where we embrace the grace of God and we walk into it and we live into it. And every day becomes a new opportunity for us to say, God, how do you want me to walk in your grace today? How do you want me to use you today? So, in the few moments that that I, I have left to share with you, I just want to kind of really specifically encourage you to ask some questions. I told you at the beginning, I, you know, in, in life as a whole, I, I'm much better at asking questions than I'm giving it simple answers, okay? I've got, I've got a teenager at home, and now I've got two kind of college-age kids, so I've learned. If, nothing, if teenagers have taught me nothing else, they taught me I don't know a whole lot. I don't know if anybody else has had teenagers, but I tell you what, teenagers can teach you how dumb you are. Although I've heard you get smarter as they get older, and I'm really hoping that, that, that gets, it comes back around. But I've learned that I'm better at asking questions than having answers. And so that's what I want to kind of leave with you guys with in this last, you know, five or six minutes that I'm sharing with you. To ask yourself these questions. What is God doing currently in the life of Northside? What gifts has he given you? What kind of people has he placed in your midst with their heart and their passions that God is already using and wants to use even more? What opportunities does he already have you at work or is he he making clear to you that when you walk out of these doors, he's already doing some cool things and inviting you to be a part of? Those are the questions that as you ask them and begin to answer them as a church, then you'll continue to see what God's next steps are for you. You see, you don't have to be like the church around the corner or across town. You can celebrate what God is doing through other churches in this community while also embracing the unique combination of gifts, strengths, and opportunities he's given you. There is no other church in this community like Northside, and that's a good thing. You don't have to be like that church over there or that church down there to be the church God is calling you to be. Because when Northside is Northside, God is doing something in this community he can do through no other church. Don't ever overlook that fact and that opportunity that he's given you. But I also want to encourage you that what's true as a church family is also true for you as individuals. That he's also given you individually gifts and abilities and strengths and passions and desires and experiences that he wants to use. And he wants you to faithfully walk in that. So here's the cool thing, and I really want you to kind of catch this. 
Sometimes I think when we do church, and I think this is true across the board, whether it's a church of 20 people or a church of 20,000 people, we, we get folks to come on Sunday, and what will happen is you'll leave Sunday morning thinking, i got to just do more. i got to do better. i got to try harder. i got to forgive more. i got to pray more. i got to love more. i got to do more. i got to just stop saying this less. You know, all these things that we, we, we think we got to do, which is important. But that's not ultimately the source of our faith. Our faith is, is ultimately, God, I've got to place myself in your hands more, and then you'll teach me what it is to do. It's not so much that we just add more stuff to people. It's how can I see God already at work in what I'm doing? And so let me just encourage you to say, God, where are you already in my life, individually and as a family? Let me just give you one example that applies to every single person in this room. You're going to eat something sometime today, right? Is that fair to say? I mean, we haven't even hit noon yet. And in fact, some of you right now are thinking, you know what, if this guy, it's 11.05, if the clock's right behind me, it's 11.05, you know, my stomach is starting to tell me it's getting close to Sunday eating time, right? And some of you, if you're honest, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but you're already thinking about grandma's cooking or the restaurant you're going to or whatever. And you're thinking, if this guy would just kind of stop, I can go eat. Because I guarantee you every single person in this room is going to eat at least once today, probably twice. Some of you are honest, three or four times still today, right? (laughs) Depending on how much, you know, the restaurant or grandma has or what's in the fridge at home. What happens when we use mealtimes as an opportunity to make a connection with other people? Because again, you're going to eat at least three times every day. Now, you already know this if you live in a family. If you've got somebody that you share a roof with, whether it's a, a spouse or kids or a roommate or whatever, if you live with somebody, you know that when you actually sit down at a table with them, it actually affects your relationship versus if you just kind of breeze by each other in the kitchen. Right? You know, especially if you have kids, you know this. If you share a meal with kids, and we're even told this, that, that studies have shown that, that we, our, our relationships with our kids are changed when we actually eat dinner together versus just kind of you know, going through a drive through in the car. Now, of course, life happens and we can't always do that. But when we intentionally do that, we understand the difference it makes. Now, you also know this as a church family, don't you? In fact, that's what you're going to do tonight. You come back and you celebrate with the kids. You're going to laugh. You're going to have lots of fun. And then you're going to have, I think, some food together. I think I've I've heard that, right? Because you guys understand. You get it. I mean, that's one of the things churches do best. We do potlucks well, (laughs) right? There isn't a church, I've been, that Chinese church I went to, they, had a, they have lunch every Sunday, and I got authentic Chinese food, and even though the guy sitting next to me didn't know English, I didn't know Chinese, we shared a meal together, and it was awesome. And the guy across from me was from Malaysia, and he was here in the country going to school, and he wasn't sure what was next, I got to pray with him, thankfully he spoke English, he understood when I prayed, you know? It's so cool, I would have never got to talk to that guy if we hadn't sat down over whatever Chinese food we ate that I couldn't have named, but it was good. That's what God does when we come together on a meal. What happens when we're not just intentional with our biological family and our church family with that? What happens when you're intentional about saying, you know what? I'm going to eat at least three times pretty much every day. Well, at least twice if you skip breakfast, but most of us three times. What if once a week, once every other week, I said, you know what? I'm going to ask that guy in the cubicle next to me to go to lunch. I'm going to invite the new Christian to go do coffee with me. I'm going to invite the person across the street that I live with who drives me nuts. I'm going to invite them over for dinner, and I'm going to show them Jesus' love. It's something you're going to do anyway. What happens when you're intentional about how you eat and who you eat with? In fact, isn't that why Jesus got criticized? One of the reasons he got criticized, he got criticized for what he ate and who he ate with, didn't he? Do you remember that? The religious leaders would say, why does he eat with sinners and tax collectors? Two about the worst categories they could have thought of. Hmm, Who are the worst people around? Well, they're sinners, 
And then there's those IRS guys, man. Jesus is eating with those people. What's wrong with him? In fact, he was with them so much, you might remember, they called him a drunkard and a glutton. How much do you have to be eating with pagan, messed up people for people to say, well, you must be like one of them. And so Jesus gives us that example to say, wow, I can open my home, my life, my mealtime to others. That's just one example. You can think of several others, but let me just throw out some other things. What happens when you think about the things you're already doing as an opportunity to connect with others? Since we're in Bloomington, I thought naturally of IU basketball. Right now, I live in Louisville, so, you know, don't hold it against me because, you know, obviously Louisville basketball is, you know, got its own issues. But, you know, you guys are having it. Your season's kind of okay, but not as good as you'd want it to be, right? Same with Louisville. Actually, UK, a lot of, a lot of Kentucky fans are in, in Louisville, too. So just not a great season for basketball, but you're still going to watch the game, right? What happens when you don't just watch the game, plop yourself on the couch by yourself, but you, you invite somebody over? Or if you have tickets, you take them to the game where you're not just cheering on the Hoosiers, you're cheering on the person that you've invited over, maybe somebody who needs an encouragement, and maybe they would never, ever come into this building on Sunday morning with you. But they might come over to your house and sit in your den, sit in your man cave, and watch the game with you, and that becomes a first step. Just one example. Maybe for you it's Bunko. I don't know. Do people do Bunko around here? Anybody? You know what I'm talking about when I say Bunko? Some of you do, okay. If you don't, you know, you're not allowed to know. It's like a, it's like a secret club. I'm kidding, but it's basically my wife. It's just this little dice game they play. But the real reason my wife does bunko is because it's the way they can, she can eat and talk to her friends. All right? And I know that the one, one night a month that I should not have a heart attack, if I ever do, I'm not planning on it, but if I'm ever to have to go to the hospital or the ER, I better not be on bunko night because I'm driving myself. Because my wife is going to bunko and I'm on my own. I'm having a heart attack and I'm driving the car because she's a bunko. I'm only half kidding, only because my wife loves that time with those friends. And so if you're in something like that, whatever it is, you're in a group like that, what does it mean when you don't just invite your friends and those you're comfortable with, but you invite someone else who needs encouragement? Maybe it's not basketball or bunko for you. Maybe it's music. Maybe it's computers. Maybe it's fishing. You know, maybe it's crafts. I don't know. What is it that you enjoy doing? You're going to do anyway because it's what you enjoy. It's a part of how you're wired. And God would let you, invite you to invite someone else to be a part of it. You see, my final challenge, my closing encouragement to you is just to remember who you are. You're God's family. He's brought you into his family and he's given you an opportunity to share his love with each other. Keep loving each other well. Love each other in spite of your differences because that's what unity looks like. You know this, but no church is united because you agree on everything. Your unity is based on Jesus. Hold on to that. Hold on to him. Keep sharing that unity together. And you know what? The cool thing about serving, you can serve alongside people of all ages and backgrounds, and God uses that. When we serve together, we become more one. Keep doing that, remembering that God has made you his handiwork. He has looked on you in love, and he has formed you as his handiwork so that you might walk in the good works he's created you to do. And so then you take that out into this community. God has such cool things in store for Northside, things that you're already doing, things he wants to continue to build on. And when you take that love and that grace out into this community, lives are changed. Your life is changed. And the people who you interact with, their lives are changed. As you say, God, what good works have you made me for to walk in them as together a church, as individuals, you go out and you bless this community. So let me encourage you to do that. You're the family of God. Love each other well. 
and then take that love to Bloomington and the surrounding area. I'm going to pray for you all as I conclude that message. And and our music folks are going to come up and we're going to uh, have an invitation time. But I just want to pray for you all, okay? I want to pray that God continues to bless and guide this congregation, okay? So let's pray together. Father, I'm so grateful for your love. And I know the folks here would say the same thing. We are, we are lost and wandering without Jesus and the hope that he offers. And so, Lord, I thank you for that truth. Lord, there may be some this morning who need to remember that and need to be reminded that, you know, it doesn't matter what kind of week they've had or what kind of choices they have, the things they're struggling with, your grace is enough. There may be some here who've never surrendered to that grace, and I pray that they'll hear the invitation of your love But Lord, for those who understand, and and, and we come every Sunday and it's not like we're hearing anything new, Lord, there's nothing, nothing new that they maybe need to hear other than just a reminder that you've made us new. You've made us a part of a family. You have such wonderful things that you are doing through this church and that you want to continue to do through this church. Lord, would you just bring a, 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 a gift of unity that just continues to build and grow as you lead Northside forward through 2018 and beyond, that they would be a light in this community as you fill them with your light and your love. Lord, hear my prayer on their behalf as we continue to seek you individually and as this church seeks you together. Would you guide them and bless them and lead them forward, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.